listen, you know, I know there was a time, you know, in the old days, we thought we should keep our children away from pornography. <laughs> and we thought that was the right thing to do. Well, not the case uh, anymore. It's not easy to keep your kids away from pornography. It practically spills out of everything now. And it is destructive to them, and it is destructive to families, because a lot of guys are still doing uh, pornography, and it has deep, deep effects on the family and the individuals. If you're trying to stop, or if you have a family member that is trying, please suggest Covenant Eyes. It's accountability software. You could try it for free for 30 days. Just go to coveyes, C-O-V-I-S dot com slash Glenn, C-O-V-I-S dot com slash Glenn. Don't wait. The destruction needs to end, and you can set up accountability partners for yourself and others in your family if you want. Uh, pornography is the worst of the worst wolves in sheep's clothing in our society. It is a real problem. It is a destroyer. Please go to coveyes.com slash Glenn. yourself are you a victim or are you a not just survivor are you a warrior against things that go wrong in your life you can you can climb any mountain thrown in front of you that is the way america was born that's what america was all about it was a different land with different people just watch any show from the pioneer days when people were rushing out to get their land in ways where they were going to most certainly die. Why would you do that? Because they wanted to own something. They wanted to be their own person. They wanted control of their own destiny. And so they would work hard to do it. Are you that person or are you a victim? We go down that road in 60 seconds. So I know your day is really super busy and I respect your time, but I want you to consider doing something that could have a profound impact on your personal and family financings. Uh, I am only asking for 10 minutes of your time to get the ball rolling today. Call American Financing. They're going to do a free mortgage review to get a sense of where you're at and where you could be at. The economy is getting worse. I love, what was it, the New York Times, Washington Post? People are feeling better about the economy. Really? They are? Uh, right now, you need every possible advantage you can get. Their salary-based consultants can help, which means they don't take any kickbacks from any banks. Call them today. This is a company that's been helping people in this audience for about 10 or 15 years now. 
They can refinance your mortgage, possibly with a lower fixed rate, provide other kinds of loans, even just help you find ways to raise your credit score, which is incredibly important right now. American Financing, we'll see you through. But don't take my word for it. Do your own homework. Call American Financing at 800-906-2440. American Financing, 800-906-2440 or AmericanFinancing.net. American Financing, NMLS, 182334, www.nmlsconsumeraccess.org. There is a must-read book that has just come out called Nation of Victims, Identity Politics, uh, The Death of Merit and the Path Back to Excellence. It is out today. Vivek Ramaswamy is uh, the author, and he joins me now. Vivek, first question, and don't hate me for this if, I, if I've had it wrong the whole time. I am the worst on names, the worst. And every time I see you on a show, you never correct anybody. And they're always pronouncing your name a different way. Am I getting it wrong and you're just being very polite? Or is Vivek well, you, the way you say your name? That. Vivek is right. Vivek like cake Ramaswamy. 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 Yep. Okay. You got it. All exactly. Right. Yeah, you know, those, those, those TV hits, you usually get like three to four minutes. I prefer to talk about content, but since you asked, yeah. I love it. Thank yeah, okay. So, so Vivek, I just, out of respect for you, um, I just, because I'm watching it and I'm so paranoid, I always get things wrong uh, on names, always. Even like my own wife, I would screw up her name. Um, <laughs> uh, I just wanted to make sure. Okay, so Nations, uh, Nation of Victims is out. Um, and you're known, at least on this program, as somebody who is very into ESG, um, you know, very, very against it. Uh, you are doing everything you can to bring back merit. This book does not really deal with ESG or anything like that. This is the answer in our own lives. Would you agree? That's right, Glenn. Yeah. I, I, I would agree. I mean, look, I think that there's two sides to this equation, right? Even if you think about the kind of stuff we usually talk about in this program, the kind of stuff I'm working on in the private sector, Yes, that is about corporate meddling in our culture. It is about the use of corporate power to advance one-sided progressive agendas, but it takes two to tango. What do I mean by that? It also takes a population and a consumer base that's willing to buy those narratives and use that to actually be moved by it. And so so what this book is about is the broader cultural question. Why is it that consumers are so hungry for a cause and purpose and meaning and identity Mm. that they fall for these victimhood narratives that companies and other cynical actors sell them. That's what this book's about. And the case I make in this book is that we've fallen into a moment in our history where we see hardship as the same thing as victimhood. Well, guess what? My thesis is that hardship is not the same thing as victimhood. Hardship is part of what teaches us who we are, both as individuals and as a people. And I think the black hole at the vacuum of the Americans and the vacuum at the heart of the American soul right now is our absence of a shared national identity. And the case I make in this book is that we can fill that vacuum with a shared national identity based on the unapologetic pursuit of excellence through our system of free market capitalism and as individuals who are free agents in the world, regardless of the color of our skin or where our parents came from. That's why I wrote this book. So where where do you think the big turning point, because I think it was 2008, when the bailout happened, we're now doing all of that. And it was the end of personal responsibility for corporations. It really was. It really it was the death of personal responsibility at every level of society. So I, do, I think 2008 was a big turning point for a lot of reasons. 
what happened in 2008? We had the 2008 financial crisis. We had the bailouts. We had no accountability for, for a lot of financial institutions that took risk at the public at the public's fisk. When times were good, they got paid. When times went bad, the public had to bail them out. But that was also the birth of, of the identity politic wing of the new left. It was Barack Obama elected as the first black president of the United States. A lot of the victimhood narratives that went with that. We're also then in the thick of the greatest intergenerational wealth transfer in human history from the baby boomer generation to my generation of millennials and, and Gen Z. And, and I think that creates a new victimhood culture and a culture of entitlement as well. So, so there were a lot of things around the turn of the last decade. There were a lot of factors in our culture that conspired to create this new culture of victimhood. And, and one of the things I, one of the things I uh, describe in the book is also the rise of a laziness culture, even in our, mm. in our workforce but in our culture more broadly. And one of, the, one of the things I say in the book is that victimhood fits laziness like a glove. And that people today who are lazy and don't want to work construe that not just as their own sloth, which is one of the human vices, but also as a narrative of the grand fight against the oppression of capitalism, the oppression of modernity, the colonialism of capitalism. I mean, these are the kinds of things you hear as part of the great resignation on Reddit in the pandemic over the it started back in the post 2008 era. And so I think it was it was a combination of a new laziness culture of entitlement that came from my generation being on the receiving end of this large intergenerational wealth transfer, but combined with these victimhood narratives that justified that laziness with a moral veneer. That's part of what led to us now having a shared national identity based on victimhood. We're a nation of victims. So you, and, and, and I think the case I make is we need to graduate from that. Um, you, um, you talk about Plato's ideal society, and you talk about it because you say, you know, that's how we find the ideal citizen. What is the ideal citizen in 2022? In America, I mean, this is, this is the question of our hour, okay? So I, I think there are two parts to what it means to be American. And I think each of us has some of this in our heart. On one hand, we all want to be an individual who's able to pursue our own individualistic dreams through the system of free market capitalism. That's what we think of as the American dream. I have that impulse. You have that impulse. Most of the listeners in this program share that feeling, too. That's half the story. That's what I call the shared the, the pursuit of excellence, the unapologetic pursuit of excellence. But, but I think there's another half of the story, too, Glenn. I think that many on the right, many of us have missed for years which is also our hunger to be part of a nation that is greater than the sum of its parts, a collective whole as citizens. And that's the side of our identity as individuals that really, I think, re revolves around also the revival of civic duty. One of the chapters in the book is entitled A Theory of Duty. It's a play on John Rawls's A Theory of Justice, which was the North Star of the left for much of the late 20th century. I offer what I call A Theory of Duty, which talks about the revival of civic duty. And the case I make is that it's not at odds with liberty to have a civic duty. Our civic duty as citizens is different than the freedoms we want to have in all of the other spheres of our lives, including economically. And I think it's one of the things that conservatives sometimes get wrong. We get wrong in our, in our obsession with just talking about freedom. And believe me, I'm 10 out of a scale of 10 on that discussion. We miss the fact that if we have civic duties as citizens, that actually gives us greater fortitude to pursue our freedoms through the system of free market capitalism, well, through our pursuit of excellence as individuals. And so that's the philosophy at the heart of this book. Actually. I'm old enough that, uh, you know, in high school, you couldn't graduate without having a class called rights and responsibilities. And we've forgotten the responsibility part. And that is, like you say, huge. 
But, you know, I learned something when I lived in um, in New York City. When I moved to New York City, I was always a guy who if there was garbage on the street, I would, you know, pick it up and throw it in the garbage can. And it was just ingrained in me. I grew up in a smaller town. And um, and after about two years of living in New York, there was garbage at the front of my building uh, on Sixth Avenue. And it was just this newspaper is just blowing everywhere. And my first thought was, how much money do I have to pay this stupid city for them to keep it clean? And I stopped in my own tracks and I thought, oh, my gosh, I've turned into one of them. In a certain sense, well, that's really honest of you, Glenn, to talk about looking in the mirror that way. It's, it's something that more of us ought to do is actually before we point the figure outward, let's take a mirror and look within. It's funny. I'm talking to you from a car in New York City right now <laughs> where I'm literally seeing bottles lining the street on the left hand side of my car without somebody stepping down to pick it up. Yeah. And I think that that idea of civic duty is something that, you know, I, I, I could call out the liberal side of this. I have been for years. I do a little bit of that in the book as well. But I think it's a place for the conservative movement to look internally and say, all right, look, we can criticize the poison that fills the vacuum all we want. At the end of the day, we're not rising to the occasion if we don't fill that vacuum with something more meaningful, something more rich that dilutes the poison. But see, so, so help me out because Vivek, I think, and I know religion plays a big part, you know, in, in the book and in your life. Um, the, the, the right would say we do our civic duty. We're much more charitable. We work through our churches. I know people who go on missions all the time. I mean, we do do our civic duty. That's what they would say. The left. I think we need more of that. I okay. think we need more of that. Uh, and so I think that there's, I think there's true, I think there's definitely, that, that's, that's why I'm, that's why I'm more interested in speaking to the conservative movement than I am to the left, because I think that there's a greater chance of filling that national vacuum. If we're going to have to pick which, which political party or which political movement's going to do it, I'm more optimistic about the conservative movement. So that's why I'm, you know, preaching, preaching to that choir rather than the other one, because I think that's our best chance of success. I think we need to revive that though. And I, and I think there's one of two directions for the future of the conservative movement. Either one that, wallows in a new version of victimhood in response to left-wing victimhood, which I've been, by the way, a big critic of. And, and a lot of what I'm saying is a self-reflection, Glenn. I have spent the last two years criticizing a lot of woke victimhood culture, left-wing victimhood culture. But one of the things I've learned, looking, talking about introspection for myself, is how much – we're moving the needle a little bit by putting the spotlight on the problem. But if we want to move the needle in a big way, I mean, we have about a generation left to save the identity of this country. And if we're going to do it, it's not going to come just by pointing our finger no. at all of the hypocrisies of the other side, because that would take all of our time. No, We would have no time left, and time would have run out before we're actually able to save our national identity. We need to fill the void of national identity with something else. And what I offer in this book is, is, is two visions for that. One is the revival of the shared pursuit of excellence. That's part of what I'm working on, by the way, in the private sector. In the, board, in the letter that I sent to the board of directors of Chevron last week, through what I'm doing at Strive, I'm trying to do that through the private sector that's still only half the story, though. And I think that as citizens, we also need to revive our sense of civic duty to start talking about that more. You know, I think, I think it's a provocative idea I offered in my last book. I talk about it in this one, too, of even thinking about weaving civic service into education. That's something that makes conservatives, a lot of libertarian-leaning conservatives, even myself 10 years ago, would have recoiled at that idea. That feels like it, it's, a, it's an infringement on our liberty. Well, what I say is, first of all, if you start at a young enough age, we accept that children under the age of 18 or 16 are not yet free agents in the world. We have to create those citizens. And weaving the idea of service, of identity as a citizen in your country, is part of what allows you to actually be an unapologetic capitalist, an unapologetic free agent once you do enter that world. 
And, and part of the problem, I think, is that we have an entire generation, my generation, that never learned how to do actual service, nor how to pursue their self-interest in their own right by commingling the two. We never learned how to actually do either one on its own. And so I think we'll actually create great, a greater generation of capitalists, a greater generation of free individualist agents in the world if we also revive this idea of living out our civic duties. And I think that you're right. A lot of conservatives in their private lives do it. I think we need to make that a part of a North Star I think of you're, the, what it means to be a conservative in America. I think you're seeing that now with the takeover of the school boards and, you know, the the local uh, uh, city councils, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, conservatives, you know, they were busy keeping their nose, you know, to their business and down to the grindstone and et cetera, et cetera, and just thought, oh, this exactly. is all being taken care of. It, it, it was being taken care of, just not in a way we, we appreciate Exactly. And one of the things I like to do, Glenn, is sometimes just let's take a step back from the present. Let's take a walk through history. So, so one of the things I do in the book is actually I talk to a lot of, about a post-Civil War history and the Reconstruction era. But one of the areas of history I go to is actually Roman history. And one of the things I reminded myself of is, you know, you hear a lot of analogies today between the fall of the American experiment and the fall of Rome. Well, well guess what? There was no one rise or one fall of Rome. There were many rises mm-hmm. and many falls. And, and in you know what? I don't think we're done with this American experiment quite yet either. There were many rises and many falls of Rome. There were many rises and many falls of this country and this great experiment as well. And, and I tell the story of, it was, it was an interesting one. I hadn't studied it since high school. Emperor Septimius Severus, he was known as the Black Emperor. Okay, that's how I studied him in high school, at least. One of the things I learned while doing the research for this book is actually, he only got that name, the Black Emperor, in the last few decades, as he was redescribed in modern American history. There was a TV series that, that highlighted the story of the first, first black man to walk on England's soil came not as a slave, but as a conqueror. And then they made a whole narrative around it. Well, the funny thing is, if you go back to the Roman era, people could see that he had dark skin, but it was no different than someone having dark eyes or dark hair. The thing they actually cared about was, were you a Roman citizen or were you not? Were you a member of this nation or were you not? That's how they actually saw him. And in a certain sense, we have created our vision, even of history. He's the black emperor we need, not the black right. emperor he actually was. That was never how the Romans saw him. And mm-hmm. it just shows you how anachronistically even we view history, that if we're able to take off the goggles of the present, the filters of the present, and actually even just take ourselves out of the present, it suddenly becomes politically less controversial. We're able to talk about these ideas in ways that are a thousand years removed. But then you come back to the present and you see what a strange world it yep. is that we live in. Yeah. And, and I think that that's one of the reasons I, I felt compelled to write this book. It's not for everybody, but, but if, it, if, you're, if you're a lover of history, if, if you're interested in potentially the parallels between Roman history and modern American history, how we got here dating back to the post-Civil War Reconstruction era where victimhood culture began, and, and I think how we were able to translate that into the victimhood culture that we see today— you know, for, for those who actually enjoy that walk through history, that's who this book is, was intended for, in contrast to Woke Inc., my last book, which is, which is more about current events and, and the current era. This is a walk through history that gives us, hopefully, a different view of the present. Yeah, well, you've really targeted the wrong audience for that. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> this, this audience, it, that's, you are speaking their language. Uh, it is great. It's called A Nation of Victims. Uh, and it's written by Vivek Rameshwamy, and we appreciate everything that you do, Vivek. Thank you so much. God bless. Thanks for having me. You bet. Nation of Victims, must read. All right, back in just a second. Um, I, uh, 
I go back and forth. I go back and forth on, you know, looking at um, the house, selling the house, keeping the house, yada, yada. I, I, I don't know what to do, honestly. I wrote to my wife um, yesterday as I was going through the, uh, the show prep from yesterday. You can get it at glenbeck.com every day. But uh, I'm, I was going through that, and I saw some stories about what's coming. I'm going to share some things, that what's coming. And I thought, uh, I don't know if we should own a house. I don't know. And then I go, well, what do you own? Where do you? What's safe? I don't know. Look, if you're struggling with this and you have to move or you've decided I'm going to move, please get the best real estate agent you can find. Get the one that will get it right the first time. There's so much at stake here with this investment it's a free service to you we have agents all over the country a number of years ago i started the company that works with these agents and sets them up with people like you it's called real estate agents i trust you should call them today free service real estate agents i trust.com go there now real estate agents i trust.com 10 seconds station id I, uh, I'm going to make a pretty crazy prediction. Um, That's so unlike you. It's so unlike me. So unlike you. You are going to see the oil industry in America and the energy industry, mainly the energy companies, I think, all nationalized um, in the next probably couple of years. Mm. Uh, if we stay on this road. You know, I, I was reading that story about Buttigieg. He's interested in that California ban on new gas cars. Oh, is he? Right, so yeah, the mm. states are leading the way on that. Wow. My gosh. Maybe that is interesting, should, isn't maybe, it? Maybe, yeah. Maybe mm. we should do that nationwide. Well, what does that do? If you ban new gas cars, you have now sealed the fate of all of the oil companies. It's over. It's over. You have just made a self-fulfilling prophecy. You're done. This is ESG, and this is how it works. So, what does that mean? You're going to see in the next few months energy companies in uh, in Europe not being able to afford to get get energy to people's houses, and people won't be able to afford the energy. So the state will step in and say, "You can't charge more than this." Well, what happens? That means those energy companies go out of business. Well, they can't go out of business. Lo and behold, here comes the government to save everybody's life. It's coming. The Glenn Beck Program. Uh, hopefully we can avoid that. Uh, Jason writes in about his dog's experience with rough greens. He said, my dogs will actually push my hand away when I mix rough greens into their dog food bowls just so they can stout, stop, <laughs> just so they can start chowing down on it. Their fur is much more shiny. They have lots of energy. I definitely recommend uh, for anybody who has dogs, Rough Greens. Thank you so much. Jason, I know what you mean. Once you put Rough Greens on the food, get out of the way. I've got a couple of big German shepherds. Get out of the way. Rough Greens, not a dog food. It's a supplement that you put on the dog's food. And it's chock, chock full of vitamins, minerals, probiotics, antioxidants, you name it. If it's healthy for your dog, it's most likely in Rough Greens. The folks at Rough Greens want to make sure that you don't spend a dime with them, that you don't need to spend. 
They want to make sure your dog likes it, so they're going to send you a free trial bag, just a little bit of it, so you can feed it to your dog for a couple of days, just to make sure that they'll eat it and they like it. If they do, get the full bag, and you will watch a change in your dog over the coming months that was astounding to me. First trial bag, free, pay for shipping. Roughgreens.com slash Beck or 833-G-L-E-N-N-33. Don't forget to use the promo code GLEN20 for $20 off your subscription at blazetv.com. This is the Glenn Beck program. So, um, the the guy who's running for for uh, the Senate in uh, Pennsylvania, even the Washington Post has come out and said, "Okay, guys, come on." No, have uh, they? I didn't. I missed. Oh yeah, that. Washington Post came out oh, with an wow. editorial and said, "Come on, we need his medical records. You're hiding him. He's way out of control." Um, his uh, name is John Fetterman. Here he is, just in a a few clips, in one speech from yesterday. My name is John Fetterwoman! Okay. Okay. Do we have more? Do we have the other clips? Oh, we do? Yeah, Uh, I think so. Do you not have more? Okay. Because it's from uh, my show this morning. We've got uh, Cut 8. Cut 8. Campaign speech highlights. No? Yes? Okay. I don't have it? You, yeah, here it is. No. You didn't have a doctor in your life making fun of it, making light of it, or telling mm. you that you're not fit to be served. Can you describe... Wait, what? Serve? Uh, Oof. A stroke. And what, you know, what's happened? If, so, I, I use the mm. example. So, pretend I was... I want to go to Wegmans. It's such the most important race for the Senate here for 22. We have to replace Pat Toomey. Oh, no. no. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Senator Toomey was not very nice to me. He, Pat Toomey, is a miracle. He had a chance. And another He had a chance to match me up again. Abortion is the ballot now in November. Just some highlights of the low lights. Now, they're saying that um, the reason why he won't debate is because uh, he'll, it's, it's too hard for somebody who had a stroke to concentrate with the cameras, with the audience and everything else, you'll have a hard time concentrating and hearing. Well, what do you think the Senate's going to be like, dude? Yeah. I mean, this is really very dangerous. We already have one in Joe Biden. Really? You're going to do it again? Well, really. Then there's Nancy Pelosi. Oh. There's Dianne Feinstein. Really bad. This is really bad. Well, they need people like this that they can just, the system can run. That's why they like them. The yeah. system will just run it. And it's it's extraordinarily dangerous. Okay, let me uh, let me move on here. Let me tell you about uh, Mark Zuckerberg. He admitted that Facebook uh, censored uh, Hunter Biden's The Laptop Story for seven days after the FBI warned of Russian propaganda. This is an update on this. 
was in the final days of the Trump administration. Now under Biden, it seems that the White House has gotten a little more friendly with the social media companies. Earlier this month, a big lawsuit from the attorney generals of Missouri and Louisiana unearthed some pretty big findings um, in July of 2021 after Biden accused Facebook of killing people. By not censoring COVID information, you remember that, an executive at Facebook or Meta told Biden's Surgeon General that they got the message. And Meta and the government officials met to discuss what the White House expectations were going forward. This is just one example. The lawsuit provided a lot more evidence of government collusion with social media companies. A judge recently ordered the White House to turn over the communications between these companies and top uh, press officials and Dr. Fauci. Both the White House and the companies deny any direct censorship. So what does it look like? Well, let me give you this. Just last month, my social media team, and this is an update on this story, found that over 60 videos posted on my account had been demonetized practically overnight. Some of them were originally posted as far back as February. Now, it's important to understand the difference between being um, demonetized and a violation. A violation means we broke Facebook's rules and could get banned. These videos are just demonetized because they're too sensitive for advertisers. And the way this works is very telling. Facebook allows advertisers to vaguely choose what kind of videos they want to associate themselves with. But some content is always demonetized, no matter what the advertiser wants. This category includes misinformation. And that's determined by a list of independent third-party fact-checkers, who, which are not really independent and not all that fact-checky. So with all of that in mind, we dug through the list of newly demonetized videos, and look what was hit. My podcast with uh, Vivek exposing ESG. My uh, podcast with James Lindsay exposing CRT. One from March titled Biden's New World Order, which, remember, was his quote. A video of Biden saying MAGA Republicans are the most extreme political organization in America, which he's now upgraded to a threat to democracy. A few videos where I debunked CNN's article on the rise of white Christian nationalism, pretty much everything I've ever said about George Soros, and a whole lot about the Great Reset, the World Economic Forum, and FBI corruption. Now, we don't know what happened. Um, we have been on the phone for several weeks now fighting Facebook on these decisions, and we won. Facebook remonetized many of these videos. But that makes me wonder why they were flagged in the first place. I find it interesting that this occurred the same month that the FBI raided Mar-a-Lago and warned everybody about increased domestic violent extremism. I've told you before about what the FBI is now using to identify political domestic extremists. Do you fear an economic collapse? Well, that sounds like me. Do you voice fears about big government? Yeah, that's me. Do you believe in the Great Reset or a New World Order conspiracy? Now, I doubt that the FBI cares it's the conspiracy theory or the conspiracy fact. I don't think they care. Do you believe crazy things like the fact that America had a Christian founding? If you, by the way, want to learn that that is 100% true, you can watch my Glenn Beck TV special from a few weeks ago called Proof America's Heritage is Not White Christian Nationalism. Facebook didn't like it, but it will always be available 
on Blaze TV. Wrong think is a problem now. They have banned us over and over and over again. They have demonetized our videos. This is very important to us. My videos still exist in their entirety on Blaze TV. And people say, why do you use these things? We use them because we have to get our voices out beyond our own platforms. We have to find new people. And the algorithms already make that damn near impossible. But I want to ask you again for your support of Blaze TV. It is one of the last remaining digital spaces that allows truly free speech. There's a, there's a handful of us. And when you find one of them, this is not like subscribing to Netflix or anything else. These are the places that will actually tell you the truth with the evidence. And we will admit it when we get wrong. I would like you to join us at Blaze TV. Get the news and cultural coverage that you cannot get anywhere else. Because what we discuss here can't be discussed anywhere else. Especially on so-called public platforms. So this week, and this week only, we're offering $20 off our one-year subscription to Blaze TV. It is crucial that we have you in our family so we can communicate, so you know the truth, you have access to it, and um, we're, we're in direct contact with each other. Use the promo code GLENN20, get Blaze TV special discount this week only, blazetv.com slash Glenn. Use the promo code GLENN20, and uh, let's save our country. And restore hope and truth. Who do I have? John? Sean? John? Sean, is that you? No, this is Glenn. Glenn? This, this word, John Fatterwoman. Pen- I don't think... Sean, Pennsylvania, deserves a guy who is over 6'8". I... And doesn't own his shirt with a collar. I, I don't... Uh, Pennsylvania, Sean, deserves a Senate man who has never had a job but has the guts to live in his parents' basement. Okay, I... Uh, I it, this isn't Sean in the first place. Mark? No, is that you? No, it's not. No. Mark, Dr. Oz lives in a big house. Eight minutes from here. Right. And it's big. But I don't. You you don't what? I don't live there with him. I live in a different place. I didn't think anybody... Because my name is John Fetterwoman. It's actually Fetterman. That was a I, t-shirt. I have bad cramps right now. Cramps? Have you did any Midol? Have I... What? Have you did any Midol? No. Pamperin? No, I don't have... Any of that. Dan, uh, no. Dan, I'm, I'm in pain right it's now. not dead. Okay. All right. Goodbye. Okay. Thank you very much. John Fetterman, apparently, just deciding to call in. It was good to talk to him. Warranties are designed to expire. That's just the cold, hard truth. And as you well know, as soon as your warranty's out, lo and behold, the check engine light goes on. Don't worry about the check engine light anymore. You could be on a monthly plan that will keep you covered. Every single month, something goes by. This is like medical insurance for your car. And it's for when, you know, your car has cancer. You're like, uh, and it doesn't wipe you out. CarShield offers protection plans for around 100 bucks a month. 
All you have to do is choose the mechanic to do the work and car shield administrators handle everything else. They also will take care of you on the road when your car breaks down. You're stuck on the side of the road. Every protection plan includes coast-to-coast roadside assistance, rental car options, trip reimbursement, no extra cost. Lock your price in today, and it will never go up. Uh-huh, I actually said that. Car Shield has my back, should have your back. Get coverage like I have with Car Shield. Go to carshield.com slash back, carshield.com slash back, or call 800-391-8888, 800-391-8888. Save 10% on your plan, carshield.com slash back. Glenn Beck. Join the conversation, 888-727-BECK. Welcome to the uh, Glenn Beck program. There is a, um, a really good article on um, why this recession is different, and it's from uh, Charles Hugh Smith. And let me just give you some of the highlights. I uh, hope to be able to go through all of this um, by the end of the week. But um, they're saying deglobalization is inflationary. Listen, listen to these, these things because they, they, they will change everything. Deglobalization is inflationary. Offshore production to low-cost countries imported deflation. Product prices remain flat or decline and boosted corporate profits. Deglobalization will increase the costs and pressure profits. Just as cleaning up the environmental damage did, um, you know, in the 1970s, reshoring essential supply chains will impose costs, pushing prices higher. Everything costs more in developed economies due to their high wages and social costs, pensions, health care, etc., high taxes, strict environmental standards, and extensive resolu- uh, uh, regulations. So consumers will pay more as supply chains are onshored and secured. Okay? We didn't have that in other recessions. This one, energy will cost more. The price of oil and natural gas will fluctuate and could drop significantly as global demand drops. But in the long run of the easy-to-access energy, it has been depleted and all energy will cost more now. Consumers will pay more regardless of where the goods and services come from. Capital will no longer have zero cost. Interest rates may return to a near zero, but over time, the cost of credit and borrowing is going to rise. The 40-plus year cycle of credit is bottomed out and is reversing. Global risks are much higher than generally recognized. Um, Definancialization will revalue assets. This is where the metal meets uh, the, uh, yeah, the metal meets the, well, the pedal meets the, Anyway, this is where it gets <laughs> dicey. Definancialization will revalue assets. The hyper-financialization that fueled global growth for the past 40 years depended on the cost of credit falling. Interest rates fell, regarding uh, rewarding borrowers and buyers of bonds, which increased the value uh, with each click down in the interest rate. These trends are reversing. Credit will cost more. As profits from globalization dry up, credit costs rise as asset valuations based on cheap credit and rising profits will be replaced and repriced lower. Assets that benefit from scarcity may increase in value. There are many other factors. Uh, Generational selling as the elderly sell assets to fund their retirement. Global capital flows as money flees in secure periphery nations for the core. 
Um, heightened risk will revalue whatever is deemed safe and secure. Unprecedented inequality will drive clawbacks, wealth taxes, and expropriations of wealth viewed as illegitimate or excessive. Wealth will take a hit, affecting the top 10% who have almost 90%. If history is a guide, private wealth globally will not find a new home that will preserve current valuations. The losses will fall lightly on those who own few assets, the majority, and heavy on losses of those who own most of the assets, the top 5%. This reverse wealth effect will reduce their ability to spend, consume, shrinking, shrinking luxury discretionary spending, which makes things worse. And then labor scarcities. This is this is laying out what I think is true, the natural chain of events. Um, this is what I read yesterday, and I sent it to my wife and said, we really need to talk about this because Everything that you thought was solid is going to become liquid. Um, You know, everything is going to change. And especially if they continue down this road of ESG. And what Buttigieg said yesterday about, hey, you know, California has a great idea. Maybe we should ban all gasoline cars by 2035. That is a disaster. Disaster. And... So many millions of people will suffer and die because of this grand experiment. The Glenn Beck Program.